Welcome and happy Friday. It's Tuesday for us, Friday for you. So if anything happens between Tuesday and Friday and you don't hear us talking about it, that's why. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I am here with Laura Redman, who's our Deputy Digital Director, Meredith Carey, who's one of our editors, Seb Modak, who is another of our editors. My name is Brad. And we're going to talk this week about millennials, because we can't talk about anything else, and the travel business, travel industry, how travel is changing around this upcoming demographic. What do you guys call yourselves? Because I am a Gen Xer. We went through this branding exercise, you know, before you guys did. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a pain in the ass. You guys are the, you love the attention. You guys are the lost generation, we're right? The, we're the, the MTV generation. generation. Yeah, yeah. Reality like a, bites still, doesn't yeah, it? it? Flat does. all it does. MTV. We were underemployed way before you were underemployed. <laughs> <laughs> you were underemployed. We were just unemployed. Yeah, so That's the problem. The, That's we're the, the in, distinction. We're, we're the entitled, uh, what else? I was at a conference the other day and someone said the me, me generation, me, which me generation. makes me want to throw What's up. What's the extra me for? Uh, you know, just, just extra me. Double hear me. 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 But then you also hear if while we're on stereotypes because they're fun um you also hear that y'all are more generous and more committed to social causes more politically engaged i don't know about that like we had the anti-apartheid movement that was pretty good well maybe compared to like the 70s and nom or something Uh, i mean look right now this is not a politics conversation this is a travel conversation but I do, I do think it's um, social media allows a different kind of engagement, right? And that's the main caveat is that we're all supposed to be really social media savvy, which I think immediately negates me from being a true millennial. Okay, so because you're now guiding us back to travel, how do these things show up in the ways in which millennials are traveling differently from previous generations? Well, I think it's still being figured out. I think, we, and we're kind of seeing this process of trial and error from hotels and airlines and startups in the travel space. And no matter how many kind of marketing briefs and reports that you read, I think it hasn't quite been figured out. I think we're seeing some things work, some things not work so well. But it's fair to say that the entire industry, like so many other industries, is desperately trying to oh, figure. Yeah this out that first of all they seem utterly convinced that there is something fundamentally weird about y'all or different about y'all or whatever that makes them have to change their game and they seem hell-bent on coming up with lots of new ideas let's be generous and call them new interesting you ideas. guys are all missing the large air quotes that brad is making <laughs> because this is a radio show <laughs> fancy air quotes Can we talk about some of the fun, interesting, fascinating ideas that these folks have come up with? I mean, I think a lot of what people are doing is gimmick. You know, a lot of these programs that hotels are doing, like, you know, making dorm-like common rooms and making their lobbies great and putting iPads freaking everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) Bathroom, bedroom. Do you not find that the iPads are often out of date? Right. And that's Like, they have terrible little apps on them? I I mean, they'll put an iPad with the homepage of the hotel brought up. Right. You're already there. Yeah. It's like, I don't... (laughs) If I wanted to check your concierge services on your website, I'd just do it from my own damn iPad. And I also think that those things, they age so quickly now. 
apps and the iPad gimmick and other things that hotels are throwing at you. You know, ooh, fun thing I never needed slash thought I needed. And then tomorrow you're like, mm, I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that is like where they haven't captured, for the most part, most hotels have not captured the sense of longevity with any of the things that they've tried to throw at the millennial traveler. I, you know, you go on a hotel tour and they say, oh, well, we put couches in our bedrooms. So, you know, that's for millennials because we got rid of the desk. And then I'm sitting there being like, well, I need to do my work somewhere. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's these general assumptions that are applied in different industries, right? In airline industry, hotel ride sharing as well. That's a whole other topic. But I think with hotels, like you're saying, Mayor, they assume based on focus groups or based on chats or maybe that no maybe they haven't even talked to a millennial, but they think that you want to do your work on your lap using a pillow on your bed as a desk instead of like an actual desk. And I think Lilith and Juliana Shawcross did some reporting about different hotel strategies and they found out in one case Talk about them. These are fun. No, I these think are these fun. are I yeah. think these are fun. Yeah, so the the M Beta Hotel, yes. which is yeah, a, yeah. a Marriott brand. They did the whole get rid of desk things because they thought millennials, oh, millennials like to work on their bed with their laptop, with the TV on. Is this an idea that they got by talking to people so or did one, they just sort of come up, like watch this, a lot of TV? From, from my understanding, I didn't report out this piece, but from my understanding, at first it was their idea. They were like, oh, this is a great idea. We'll free up space. We'll put in a couch. And then they had a real-time system when the hotel first opened with this series of red buttons that were installed in the rooms to get in the moment feedback for different features. And they quickly learned that these millennials, business travelers who were there and people who were just there on vacation, were like, where the hell's my desk? Yeah, they still needed a space to spread out. Yeah. They wanted to charge their devices. If anything, you just want somewhere to put pl shit. plug in and put yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta set shit down. Yeah, right. and so what they ended up doing was actually, you know how when you check into a conventional hotel room, you're choosing queen bed, two queen beds, two twin beds, whatever. Now they also introduce the option desk or no desk. So you can choose and they have a proportion of the rooms that have a desk and a proportion that doesn't. Because we millennials, we want choice. We, we want do, things and exactly I, that's exactly, I think that that is the, like the, want the biggest truism about millennials so is that like, <laughs> no, I mean, I think really, I think that that's kind of been a push for airlines to go you know, premium economy, basic economy, you want to be in control and you're super flexible with where you stay and what you do and you can stay in someone's house, you can stay at a hotel, that's fine, but you have to have the option to choose which one you actually want. And the people who are behind these new hotel openings, they're not always going to be in touch. They're not always going to know because some of the requests, some of the things that people are wanting these days, younger people, younger travelers are wanting, are things you wouldn't think of. So there's examples of Hilton brands like Canopy by Hilton. Aloft, I think. Aloft as well. Element. Element. These are all the kind of sub-brands of different large chains that have catered towards the millennial bracket. And, you know, they did a lot of focus groups where they've set up studio rooms and take people around to see what they liked, what they didn't like. And they found little things like, why is there a shelf in the middle of my mirror? I want a full-length mirror. Yeah, and I remember that. Why do I have to bend down to get down to this mini fridge? Why don't you just put the damn fridge higher? Oh God! But this just seems like. <laughs> but, but I said I two. I had two reactions. But too. but if it's piecemeal like that, why not? Like it no, does make fine. it a slightly better. These are the things you might not notice unless you're in the focus group. But once the results are put out, 
you might be like, hey, this is kind of nice. Well, sure. You know? And I, I think, you know, there's this whole, there's this book called The Design of Everyday Things that basically is a really founding tome in the design world about sort of everyday life. And I think if they just read through that and took some pages from that, like mm. that, I think it's great that they're getting feedback. But I had one of my reactions when I read that part of Lulit's piece where they talked about the red buttons is, oh God, please, really? Now we have to do feedback and the next iteration of this is going to have the BuzzFeed, you know, Has like, anyone read the smiley circle? face, angry face, you know, like what? <laughs> I think there are people who are doing it right and they're just few and far between. And how do you square that with the Apple approach, which is we're just going to figure out the way to do it. There's one way to do it and it's awesome and you're going to love it. And everybody does. No, so, but I think, think that's happening twenty percent of the U.S. Yeah, yeah. I think so that's going to change if they yeah. don't start changing. Right. Yeah, they're so, not innovating like they used to. Buy I think more dongles. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think. Do we need to explain a dongle? <laughs> well, and what about dirty? They were they then, were three steps ahead. Version. They they used to be three steps ahead. Now they're maybe like one step ahead. But hotels and airlines and everything else, they feel. Like they're half a step behind. But what about a smaller, you know, boutique hotel like the Ace chains, mm -hmm. like the Standards, even some of the smaller ones like the Dean in uh, Providence. And, you know, there are many of these around mm -hmm. the country, which, again, feel like they went at this in a more organic way. Right. Rather than doing focus groups and sort of acting like a big corporation, they just had an idea. I find them a little too try hard, though, a lot of those. Like I the feel standard, like, like yeah, the like ace. the ace. You walk into the lobby, and it's a bunch of like hip freelancers but on the their ace laptops. Didn't do that. I mean, that's what it became that's when they became. offered up that social space. And there was an interesting quote from uh, a VP at Hilton who said they were trying to create spaces, dynamic, lively atmospheres where people could be socially alone. So that notion that you could show up with your lappy and your headphones and do your work, but not feel depressed about like guess, being yeah. on your own you know so the ace if you haven't been to an ace it looks like a party mm -hmm. but you know people are having cocktails at all hours and sometimes it gets way too crowded like a new york city east village bar but there's also in the middle of it long communal tables where people are cranking out work and you don't even know what it is but it feels creative you know and you're like god i want a cold brew with a shot and i want to watch you work you know <laughs> <laughs> like it just it's it feels cool that does feel Organic, but then the other brands that try to imitate that mm. who assume if I create a social space, no matter what, any kind of social space, be it a lounge or like you're talking about, Mayor, these like lounge. Yeah, can you talk about rooms. that without naming names? For the, you remember you said you went to, yeah, you heard so, someone. So this I, is something. what I wanted because, I've, yeah. I've yeah. been attending. <laughs> millennial conferences and I'm usually Thank one you, of the I am what does usually that mean? Wait, 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 what is that? <laughs> no, conferences where companies talk about what they're doing. Oh, okay. Not like I if a bunch of like, millennials. Hey, we're millennials, come, let's know. have a conference because no, we <laughs> usually I am one of the few millennials actually in the room and usually <sighs> none of the speakers are millennials. Hmm. I would say that the wow. one I went to more recently was an exception because there are millennials leading parts of the travel industry. Lonely Planet CEO is 28. Like there are people out there who are doing crazy things who are in this generation. But I was sitting listening to this woman talk about her hotel chain, large hotel chain, talking about how they were trying to basically recruit freelancers 
in this city to come and sit in their lobby and do their work in the lobby. And I just think like that is... they have to look cool and they have to listen to MGMT. (laughs) Like that is the most unorganic way you could possibly approach the situation. That is what I mean by half a step behind. That's like five steps behind. That's saying, I see this cool thing that's happening and I'm going to do it but in a weird way that <laughs> totally undermines everything that was great about the comfort and like normalness of the Ace Hotel lobby scene. Because it is a scene. And, and you know why it's a scene? Because it started with really good couches and really good coffee. But also, and like, yeah, there was like, there's a there's great restaurant, there's a bar yeah. there, there are really cool stores the there. The neighborhood makes the, neighborhood. the Ace yeah. Hotel, yeah. like it. I can't believe like, she said that. She actually oh said my gosh. Know, that, that's I insane. Just, that's I just so, I, mean, I, I honestly, she was saying that I just like, caps locked to Sebastian uh, in a message and I was like, you will not believe what is happening <laughs> right now. And I didn't believe it. It um, was not, I mean, it just, And that shows the difference. I mean, like that, maybe they see that as like something that is going to be very visible and so very like cool and hip. But then another hotel chain basically did some research and figured out that most people carry five devices with them at all times that need charging. And so they said, okay, we need at least five outlets within reaching distance of the bed. Yeah, That's something you don't, you're not gonna notice, you know, you're gonna kind of just plug in your stuff until it's missing, exactly. And that's not as sexy as a hip lobby with people working in it, but that's what I think millennials don't necessarily want that, you know, a stilted kind of artificial I mean, I, feel like not, I know that I'm not in the demo, but I feel like honestly that's my situation, and I feel like that plus really awesome Wi-Fi yes. is right. like. But I think and, the and gold star. What what they also talked about at this conference was that there are things that one day were wants and the next day are needs. Like there are things mm. like awesome Wi-Fi, a great lobby scene, you know, nice friendly people working there, things that you think should just exist. And yeah, no matter the age, everyone right. wants that. Right. And so it's basically like that cycle of something being a want and then suddenly being a need is moving so fast that these big hotel chains that do move slower than the boutique startup-y sort of hotels, they can't react as quickly. And I guess that's where these hotels are filling a hole because they're finding service that isn't quite as slowly reactive. Is there anybody that you guys have experienced who gets that lobby scene, you know, other than the ace, that gets it right? I like the Andas. I think that they generally... I have been to a few. Some, I mean, they're so different across all of the different cities that they're in. I mean, the the one on Wall Street down here doesn't really have a lobby scene to speak of. But in Phoenix, it's just like the people are friendly. There's places to sit down. You don't feel like you're in a lobby. You feel like you're in like a space of the hotel. I, I mean, think that's I ask, the difference. No, I know. And I ask because the one in LA and West Hollywood, mm-hmm. I felt like did not get it right. Only because... It felt like, number one, they were trying, like, they got mm-hmm. two things right. They got coffee and snacks. Coffee okay. was really good, yep. plentiful, and there were snacks, and that was a reason to show up and, you know, go there. But otherwise than that, it felt like dudes running around checking people in and out and doing concierge things on iPads, mm-hmm. and it felt forced and artificial. They felt like they wanted a laptop that would sit on a desk because it was kind of a pain in the ass to haul the iPad around. Only the Apple store seems to ever feel completely comfortable. Normal with just someone walking around with an iPad wandering (laughs) up to you. Yes. Yeah. But otherwise than that, like it had too much kind of perfume going on. It was just sort of like, we are a club. 
We're in the club. You're in the club <laughs> you're, now. You're in the club you're now. You're in the club now. And it felt like I need to go up to the mezzanine to get away from the club right. to, to, to go to the table. I don't know. What else? Who else I think, gets um, Citizen M is kind of interesting. It's a chain, but it has a bit of a boutique feel. And they're trying to tackle places like Times Square. And more power to them for trying to bring like a cool experience to Times Square. I will say I used to live right by the Citizen M at Times Square. And there were always people in the lobby. Hmm. Always. Were they, they paid? <laughs> I'm going to guess no, because you can pretty much spot a tourist in a New York City hotel. But they, I mean, seriously, like there were always people hanging out in the lobby doing work. And there's a, they have a side like library room. And I mean, it's all glass on the front. And I would always be walking back late at night or after work. And there are always, there are always people in the lobby. Yeah. And I have buzzy. no idea why, but it seemed like a cool place well, to I mean, go. It, there's What's glass. Different? There, I, the decor is kind of yes. fun. I think it the is, decor is yeah, yeah. part of it. I feel, um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I feel that way about Lark hotels too, that they've kind of done it. It's a very different vibe than the other, I feel like more hip urban vibes that we're talking about. It's places up in Martha's Vineyard or you know Stowe and then on the West Coast in Napa Valley and stuff. But they're very, like each Lark hotel has its very singular identity and they kind of embrace that. And the common spaces become part of that vibe as well. So like, you know, you'll be in Martha's Vineyard and there'll be like a huge wraparound porch with rocking chairs and magazines and you know if it was in isolation it would feel a little campy but because it's all part of this singular vibe it feels very genuine and it feels very welcoming so it doesn't feel forced and i think that's the biggest thing for me is when i so walk into a place and i'm like you guys are trying too hard what we've discovered is millennials in this podcast like choice and like things that are authentic yeah and it's hard to capture that in a bottle very it's, it's hard to, but well, it is. It's hard to build that into yeah. a hotel because the hotel itself is an artificial construction, right? Yeah. And especially if it's a chain, if it's yeah. an international yeah. brand, yeah. you know that's why so many of these big brands have gone small, have right. created hotel chains with personality. They are creating a boutique experience, or yeah. they're trying to. Right. But then they're also competing with places like um, the Rivertown Lodge. I just went to in Hudson, New York, which was a built out of a movie theater, so that's cool. B, it felt like a little scene out of Brooklyn, whether you want that or not, but like it, it was Brooklyn in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. And that meant that people were hanging out, lots of beards, but having like a whiskey at two o'clock. There's <laughs> books everywhere. There's a nice little pot-bellied fire maker. What do you call that thing? Stove. A fire maker. Yeah. <laughs> makes, makes fire. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> pot-bellied stove, warm, comforting, light woods. A little snack bar you could get free coffee all day and the coffee was really good you know that's the other thing the notion that if you give you free food and drink that will make us cool and you will like it no it's I'd rather pay five bucks for a really good stump town coffee that they're selling in the lobby rather than have just like you know watered-down coffee but it was a congenial atmosphere it felt like the kind of place where you could go and talk to people and they were there all day yeah and I think you make a good point you have to actually go through with it and commit to it in a way, I, you know, I stayed at a place in Detroit last year that got a lot of things right, I felt like, about that was in this kind of vein, small, you know, boutique, had, it was a reno of a, of a former motel, which, you know, lends itself to certain design choices that were kind of cool. But again, with the coffee in the lobby, they'd clearly tried to turn it into a place where you could get your coffee and hang out and do some work and whatever. And the, they would just phoned in the entire coffee experience. It was like they weren't trying at all. It's nobody's fault, but it was just they had not committed to really making coffee for people, doing different kinds of drinks because people want, like choice. People want choice. 
And so it fell flat because it wasn't a good version of that. And I think Lilith makes that point in her piece. At the end of the day, no matter where you're staying, you still want a really nice hot shower and a comfortable bed. And you probably want a desk and you want a full length mirror. It's just, it's. And you want outlets. Like it's yeah. just, yeah. it's. It's all, it's common sense. It's yeah. and it's that's when I, I think you're right, Mary. You were saying like when when people are trying too hard, they neglect the basics, and everyone wants the basics, even if you're 21 years old. We haven't even talked about the age group here. We're basically just talking about like the the most coveted age group. Always, it's always 18 yeah. to 35 year olds, right? Yeah. And I think the crazy thing is, is that Sebastian and I were talking about this. There are all these studies that we get sent that are like. Millennials travel more than any other generation. Millennials do this more than any other generation. I'm like, yeah, because they're, you know, 20 to 35 and are just starting families or don't have families yet and have more disposable income to travel and have more time to travel. And I mean, but are there any truisms in that? Are there any of these things that are actually demonstrable, preferably from data and research, but even from your own experience? Because one of the things that we do here that kind of makes sense to me is millennials, this age group, travels more frequently, but perhaps shorter trips, where you've got a different set of priorities around travel. Travel is more important to your generation, supposedly, right? Is there any truth to this? Like, what kind of stuff backs this up? Seb, you wrote about um, bleisure, the notion of uh, bleisure. I know. Mm-hmm. The most You dis- said you weren't going to say that. Disgusting It sounds like a wound. Wait, can, I, <laughs> can, I, can I define bleisure yeah, for those please. who don't know it? Please. All right, so <laughs> bleisure is when you go on a biz trap trip <laughs> and then you, you just tack on some vacay you are fine. at the end of it. You are fine. <laughs> it's like a thrill. Put, guys get it. quarters in the tube. Yeah, put right. a dollar Curse in the jar. jar. Yeah. A dollar. Okay, oh, so God. yeah, bleisure. Business and leisure. Right. Yes. Biz trav uh, <laughs> plus leisure. Let's see how many times I can use that. So is it also true that you guys don't like to say the ends of words? Mm-hmm. You like to crop the words off? No like, vowels. Biz, trav, every time, every time you say you guys, you age a year. <laughs> Did you realize that? <laughs> like, you just age 10 you years. <laughs> you kids. Well, but, I mean, off like, the ends of the words. Um, I'm also someone who just did this. I went on a business trip for Traveler and tacked on two extra days in the city that I was in, in Los Angeles, to hang out with my friends who live there. And I think that is very true. I think that people are more likely to tack on vacation time and make their trips if possible I know, on and six, no, I know, 60% I know, more. Like, yeah. uh, Millennials so are Okay, so that's what I'm asking because I know that's a trend generally. Okay, here's some I, numbers. I'm just saying. Yeah. Here's some numbers. Throw them, Drop throw them. the knowledge. Millennials who are as part of this survey from MMGY Global, which is like a you made that up hospitality <laughs> marketing firm. Acronyms are so millennial. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't want to say all the words. <laughs> <laughs> millennials in a 12 month period from when they were asked this survey, 77% of millennials expected to extend a business trip into a vacation of some sort. In that same period, Generation Xers, only 58% of them did. God, we're and so lame. And 43% of baby boomers did. Is that perhaps, what if you had asked me that when I was under 35? Exactly, and that's my question, and that's what I don't think there is a lot I of data of. I think this is not fair. I think, <laughs> I'm, pr- I'm protesting. No, no, I'm with you, and I think that's part of what makes it so hard to study this. Like, I don't think that data really exists, but I think if you were going to go back in time, you'd find that people in their 20s, 20 years ago, also were more likely to want to go on a trip and take an adventure and do, because that's when you do that 
Sure. Right. There are some other things that are kind of like macroeconomic changes within the industry that I think have made it more possible for people right. who are so younger, earlier in their yeah. careers, less means to actually do more traveling these days. Well, it's also people, but then you could also argue maybe it is a millennial phenomenon just in the sense that now people have more access to yeah. the knowledge, to the information they yeah. need to go out. Yeah. Not to mention, yeah, it just being cheaper to fly halfway across the world than it was sure. 30 years ago, yeah. right? Yeah. So there's many things you can attribute to, but I think the fact is that right now, the way things are, millennials are the ones that are doing a lot of the traveling, and yeah. so hotels and airlines and new lift type startups and such have to respond to that. Is there data on the percentage of bookings that are made by people in that demographic? Probably. You know, particularly, I'm wondering particularly around... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we do have data on um, what kind of stays they book. I mean, the fact that Airbnb is an option, that vacation rentals are no longer just the thing that, like a timeshare thing that you booked for a week with your family. I mean, I've talked to my dad about this. He Under no circumstances would he stay in an Airbnb for work. Mm -hmm. I have and would share an Airbnb with someone for a work trip. Seven in ten millennials said they would stay at an Airbnb on a BizTraff trip. <laughs> He's going to keep doing it. just going to keep doing it. <laughs> Meanwhile, overall, when they looked at all different age groups, it was four in ten. So you could see how much the older generations brought that back. You know, yeah. being like, no way, you put me up in the, you know, in some hotel. Right, because Airbnb for a lot of people, or that notion of staying in someone's home is very unusual. Right. It doesn't feel safe to some. It doesn't feel or professional to some. You know, mm -hmm. they're like, I'm. There's a there's the up in the air stereotype that you have your suitcase and bag packed mm -hmm. you're on a flight you're in meetings all day maybe you check into an anonymous hotel room and then you go home that's a business trip that doesn't sound fun yeah. but i think millennials are more apt to conceive of a business trip as a place where i go to a new city and i'm going to check into someone's home and go to the local taco truck like down the street if that my airbnb trucks. host suggests right, right exactly. exactly so the top or i three, find on instagram the top you know. three reasons that millennials said why they want to stay in an airbnb over a hotel is one, that they want to feel like they're at a home away from home. So they want that feeling of a... Comfort. Know, comfort, mm -hmm. yeah. That's not just some soulless corporate hotel somewhere. Sorry, um, corporate soulless hotels. <laughs> we love you too. They have souls. <laughs> they have social managers, social social occasion managers. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Keep going. Um, they also attribute it to wanting to stay in a, quote, unusual place. We like unusual things, you know? We're very quirky. So you like comfort, but <laughs> unusual. Um, we are so quirky. We're so quirky. We want so unpredictable. And then they also said that they want to stay with locals in neighborhoods, you know, in very resident, like local neighborhoods that they can discover as part of their trip. So even if they're working, they can still find a nice place to grab breakfast or go out to dinner after their conference. So know? sharing economy, if we want to call it that, you know, share con. What are, what oh are we nope, um, don't try. Shere Khan, is, I think, is the tiger from the Jungle Book. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow he's in here. Shere Khan. Um, so the sharing economy, clearly a good idea, or at least an idea that has exploded. And also clearly a, if we can call such things, it's clearly a millennial idea, right? This is something that really has blossomed in the last five years, didn't exist, you know, six or eight years ago, except in sort of pockets that never really took off at quite the same level. Now we have Uber. Now we have, you guys get your own, you know, chief bad guys. Um, we get the, to choose Uber you, or Lyft. Yeah. Or, or Lyft. And or now you get else. to, now you get to decide whether you can tolerate Travis or you hmm. are going to go with Lyft. Or when 
Brad, you and me head to Austin in a, or in a few days. Do, there's a whole other. I'm so app. mad about that. There's I, other apps. But there, there are, are other, other apps. Local. Watch how long we wait when we yeah, lose the totally. other apps. It's going to be like, yes, it'll be here. I, it's going to be like it's going to be like getting a taxi in San Francisco in the 1990s. Meaning like. <laughs> You have to decide three hours before Sorry, you leave I don't, the I don't, party. I don't remember that. I'm a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> Sidebar, Brad and Sebastian are going to South By, which yes. is why they're talking about this. That's true. Um, but, I mean, this is seismic. It comes up frequently on the podcast in terms of not just how it's changed, not just that you can stay in an Airbnb on a business trip, which is certainly an option that's kind of seismic in and of itself, but also that it's opened up new cities and new markets. And that somehow feels interesting mm. and feels, I don't know, weirdly millennial, if only because of the time period in which it's happening. I agree, yes. with, I agree with that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you're saying that because of the existence of, you know, rideshare, it means you can go farther and feel safer going farther. You know, it might be different parts of a major city that you normally wouldn't be apt to explore. And that opens doors and millennials are more likely or, yeah. to take those chances. Well, I just mean I just mean think about cities like Miami and Los Angeles who are not cities that needed more attention. But it really has changed the way that you can travel to those two cities. You don't have to rent a car anymore. Because you don't have to rent a car, sure. it means that you can go out and explore a bar scene that has now not that there wasn't one in either of those two places before, but now you've got a really serious people can make a deeper investment in those cities when they're in neighborhoods that are not central or not part of South Beach, right? Like, because... I mean, the same is true of just, I mean, if you went on a business trip to Bloomington, Indiana, back in the day, I mean, would you venture very far from your hotel room or your conference center? Right. Probably not. But now that these services are everywhere, and of course, taxis existed in Bloomington, you could use those, but people, the comfort of this familiar app that takes two seconds to use that they use at home that they use at home so they're used to it they can just be like oh i want to like first i'll look up something cool and then i'll be like hey send me a car i'm gonna go check it out and then suddenly this whole new city has opened up to them and i think that just comes back to choices you have the choice to stay in you know the standard miami neighborhood or the standard la neighborhood based on where your business is but you also have the opportunity to stay farther afield and then just take an uber wherever you need to go to your business meeting and i think that that flexibility yeah. and choice is a huge reason of why those things have become successful and part of the daily routine of most millennials and yeah. convenience right? right at the end of the day it's reliable it's um, you know with taxis in the 90s in san francisco it you know how many were there? Was the car nice? You know, when you said, Seb, you're going to call a car, that is what you do. It feels kind of yeah, luck no, still, you know, yeah. you're like, you might get an Escalade pulling up to your right. door if you have no other options on Uber at the moment. But it does make it feel a bit more like a VIP experience. And for millennials who don't necessarily have as much discretionary income as some of their bosses might, then yeah. that's a little bit of like a business traveler feels perk. Good. Yeah. yeah, it feels yeah. nice. Yeah, and I also think in some of these markets like Indianapolis, where you might have gone on a business trip or Cleveland or whatever, you might have been more in and out and like just go to the hotel, go to your meeting and then go home. Whereas now, I think because these services exist, whether it's Airbnb, so you can stay in a place that's not in the CBD right. or where you can get around much more easily and reliably without having to commit yourself to a rental car or some, you know, 
dystopic cab universe, you can now say, I want to test out some restaurants. I want to go exactly. some places to eat. Totally. And you can turn that into a destination city when it wouldn't have been, you know, 10 years ago. That, I think, is a profound change that's related to the change in the approach to business travel. But I also think the other thing that we could talk about is the way air travel has changed. Are airlines making concerted efforts to court millennial travelers in the same way hotels are? I don't think they have to. I think they just have to offer lower prices, and that does the trick. Honestly, I think that for me, I am the person, I was talking to one of our travel specialists, Gary Leff, the other day about points, and I am like the least loyal airline flyer. I just honestly go with the airline that has the cheapest fare. I could, I mean, ideally I'd be sitting in the aisle, but I could be sitting in a middle seat for a hundred dollars and like, you know, it would be okay. I'd be fine. I wouldn't be going on a business trip probably, but I think that they don't have to service millennial travelers because millennials just want to go. And if right. that means offering lower fares on a budget airline, like that, yeah. do, do you, you have, about- because you have the choice to, you know, fly in premium economy or fly in basic economy right. or fly on a budget airline. Like there are these smaller, more, I guess not, I mean, they're not even niche. Like, you know, you have Wow Air and places that- Yeah, like who make- are they catering to? It's clear, right? Yeah, wow like, Air, Norwegian, like come to Europe for $99. Like, yeah. If, a, if you're a 60 year old seasoned traveler who's used to a certain thing, you're going to pay the $400, $500 yep. to go across the Atlantic. When you're putting that kind of fare up, that's a pretty clear. And then it's they've like got they, the purple really livery. Well, that's what I was like, going to ask yeah. about is like, do you care about the Virgin Atlantic purple lighting? Do you care about the jet blue, you know, cartoony, whatever they but do? But I think, do you- again, it's I will fly Virgin when it's convenient and cheap. I will fly Jet Blue when it's convenient and cheap. I'm and like, I'll fly I'm Delta not when it's convenient and cheap. cheap. Yeah, I mean, like, like it really, yes, the purple lights are great. The fun, I'm like such a sucker for a great. Um, safety video. Southwest singing <laughs> cabin crew. We um, want to get into this. <laughs> um, but honestly, like I am probably not someone who for the foreseeable future will probably have a lot of airline miles in any one place because I really don't pick a flight based on the airline. I really, mm. d- I really don't. Which is probably bad, but and Gary told me it was bad. But yeah. <laughs> Gary, <laughs> Gary scolded you. Yeah, Gary I mean, definitely a genetic. If you actor. if you want to get frequent flyer miles and you want to get status, like you have to be loyal. And I don't know if I care. Well, you, you know, it speaks to a larger trend happening across different industries. In you know, if people are consuming their news through social media, they may not know what brand is delivering them that news. They just see a headline. Right. Mm -hmm. And they maybe see a writer and maybe see a brand. But more often than not, you may just be looking at your network and what they are giving you. And if your network provided that news, then that's what you care about. Your friends, your family, whatever. So, again, it's you are looking what's right for you. And maybe, you know, that's it. It's just it's personalization. And a lot of airlines are creating the a la carte menus that allow for. You can buy whatever kind of snack you want. You can watch whatever TV you want. and On your iPad that you bring with you. On your yeah. iPad that you bring with you. And maybe for some people, that I mean, that drives me crazy. That I'm cusp millennial. Is it because of that? I don't know. Which drives you crazy? The, the personalization, a la carte, everything. Um, I think we're just very short-term thinkers. I think we're very impulsive. But you're young. I mean, that's a way of saying we're young. Yeah, yeah. no, but exactly. But And I think that's what that caters to is... 
it's what you were saying, Meredith. Like you could stop for a second, you could be like, okay, I'll pay a hundred dollars more, but it'll give me sky mile points or whatever, and I'll use you know in the long run that'll help me get another. But you're like, no, I'm not gonna pay a hundred dollars more when there's this ridiculously cheap flight on Frontier Airways right. or whatever. <laughs> I'll pay an so hundred, like, another hundred dollars for two nights at an Airbnb. Right, exactly. And I think that's what all these new kind of upstart airlines are catering to. Not to throw yet another gigantic thing out there, but to what extent do you think social media, bad term, the social media, I got it, but... <laughs> I have like, actually had someone say that to me. The social media? Social media. Um, you know, has... has Sounds like a character on Girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> has led to... Has contributed to the different ways in which younger people today might be traveling different from previous generations? Well, we've talked frequently about how Instagram is now a travel tool and how people are looking for awesome photos of brunch somewhere in LA and they see that photo and they're like, that's where I'm going. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily, you know, they might not be checking our site. They might not be checking TripAdvisor. They're looking to see what their friends are doing. And if it, they want verification, they want to see something look amazing and that's that's all they need i mean i remember rachel who's another member of our staff who runs our social media and she was taking a trip to iceland and she described how she'd figured out what she was going to wear while she was there she was like i just went to instagram and looked at what people were wearing hashtag iceland yeah i don't know she didn't say what happened but i was like wow that is definitely a generational gap because i would never have i might have thought to look for pictures of iceland but i wouldn't have thought of it in that particularly useful what she thought of it as like you said a tool yeah you go one step back i would have googled what do people wear in Iceland? I would have gone. Like, I would have just gone to the weather and said, like, what's the weather going to be in, you know, Reykjavik or whatever. Yeah. Well, that was her first source, right? So yeah. it's like for a lot of people, social media is their number one. That's the first thing they check in the morning. Again, it's instant too, right? So it's again back to that. I want this information instantly, and I want to know right now because I have this idea right now. And when you're in that moment and you wake up in Reykjavik or something, and you're like. Where should I go for breakfast? You can literally, yeah, you can see what's happening in real time around you and where people are going and what's happening through social media. So I think that does really change things. It's like having a crowdsourced guidebook in your pocket. And I think now, so Instagram recently introduced a bookmarking tool. And I honestly, on my phone, had a, a New York Eats folder that was just screenshots of Instagram. And now I don't have to do that anymore because I can bookmark it. But I was finding places to eat in New York exclusively based on Instagram. What the food looked like? Or yeah, it was, was like, it? no, it was what the food looked like. And then I would, you know, click on the location tag and then I would kind of peer How would you through. get there in the first place? Would you be like searching hashtag no, I NYC mean, like, food? There, or? No, there would be people that I followed that would post something that looked fine. And then I would click on the location tag and be like, wow, other people took much better photos of this food. <laughs> um, but you need no, to follow a higher quality Instagram. <laughs> No, but I mean, there are places that, like the Infatuation, which has, mm-hmm. you know, websites for New York, London, and LA, and offer, you know, restaurant suggestions. I mean, their Instagram, for me, is like a great source of suggestions for places to eat, because I trust them, and I'm like, hmm, okay, that looks pretty. I'll go. When I was in San Francisco, there were places that I honestly went because they looked nice on Instagram. There Have were you ever stores been disappointed? Looked great on Instagram, or do you not 
is it like a self-fulfilling okay, prophecy? Example, when I was in Ecuador, I went to the Casa del Arbol, which is like that swing that, mm-hmm. you know, you swing into the distance. It was foggy when I went. Bummer, because the photo is obviously not going to be great. But like that didn't make the fact that it was this incredible swing into nothing in a cloud less exciting. Right. It didn't make me not want to share that I had had this awesome experience. And maybe that is it. You know, like totally did it for the Insta. Like, I'm not going to lie. But it was amazing and was one of my most favorite memories from yeah. my trip. So my question is, how does the travel industry respond to that trend, though? How does an airline get in on that action or well, a hotel? I think or? it is, right? Like airlines are going to basic economy. Mm-hmm. Hotels are trying to act more like Airbnb. And taxis have to compete with rideshare, yeah. right? So they're... They're paying attention for sure and trying to figure things out and it may take time. We'll see if basic economy lasts more than a year. Um, It's just starting now. But I think when you're saying if all people care about with airlines, if all millennials care about with airlines is cost, then we drop the cost. If all they care about is having a local, authentic experience, we're going to make our chain hotel feel as local as we possibly can. You know? No one's going to speak English. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think that some people are hitting the mark and some people aren't. But I still think, like Sebastian said, the data isn't even in yet if this is an actual millennial trend or if it's just a young people trend. trend. Part of me just doesn't want to let go of trying to understand the fundamental, like the thing that lies beneath all of this as we kind of step back away from it. What what do you think is fundamentally different about your generation, regardless of, where, you know, all these factors I mean, I kind of combined I, in? I think it's the Internet. I mean, yeah. that sounds no, no, so I basic, mean, I mean, but it's the, it's the Internet. No, but I don't mean that. I mean in the way that you approach travel and what travel means. I think it's the internet. I think it's the fact that everyone is so much more value system, but I think that everyone is so much more connected. I have friends who live all over the world who I am more likely to visit because I can talk to them at any time that I want. By just if I want to know something message. about a place, it takes me literally okay, okay. two seconds no, and I've I, grown up that way. Like, <laughs> you know, like, but that's not, yeah. the, I, 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 I totally, totally agree with you and get that. But what I'm asking is, So we talked about the fact that if you had asked my generation when we were in the 18 to 35, you know, demographic, these same questions, would we have had different answers? And I think for a variety of macroeconomic and technological issues, yeah, we probably would have. But what I'm wondering is as your generation gets older and has families and confronts, you know, career advancement and like all the sort of things and you have more money to spend, how do you think the ways that you have learned to approach travel. You do it more. You go to more places. You seek a different quality of experience. How, I mean, this is an impossible question to answer, so it's sort of speculative, but how do you think that those things are going to reverberate through the culture, the industry, you know, kind of your own lives as you you go through this? I would say that the biggest thing that I think we've talked about is having the choice, and I think that that will stick no matter how old I get, I guess, you know, there are times when I want a super luxury hotel experience and there are times when I want the lowest of the low effort and I want to go stay in someone in a room in someone's house when they're still there. And I think that like knowing that I have the option for both is going to be valuable no matter how old I am, because when I have a family, I'm going 
as of now, I'm going to want to stay in someone's house when I have a bunch of rooms. But there are other places where I might want to stay in a hotel and be completely separated from my children who have a totally different room. I think like that's I, it. I think that's going to lead to a wider diversity of possible experiences. So I think this is like a weird comparison to make or a weird analogy to make. But when you look at the music industry and you take it back 20, 30, 40 years, because of the way the industry was set up without the internet, here are the pop charts, here are the rock charts, here are the R&B charts, whatever, you know, and it was like very segmented. It was very clear what those segmentations are. Yeah, this is what you're offering and you can go to the record store and you can figure it out. Then suddenly as file sharing and everything came out, it was just like... <laughs> file sharing. <laughs> it was a, we call it piracy. piracy. <laughs> for, for my friends who used to actually work for record companies. <laughs> All right. Piracy. Uh, kazaa. Um, it was just like this maelstrom of shit. And now it's the, what's a genre anymore, right? I think the same is going to happen with the hospitality industry. There was a certain point where it was very segmented. It was like, here's the cheap motel that you stop in along the highway on your road trip. Here's the business travel hotel that has seven conference rooms and is in the middle of some office park somewhere. And then here's the resorts and then the, you know, from then on. But do you think even the cheap hotel will try harder in the future? I don't think so. I think that's just going to be one of the many kind of like spread of, I think it's just going to, it's going to keep kind of splintering. And I think that's going to be the future of it is that there's just going to be so much choice. You know, you can find just one extreme to the other and literally everything in between. I think the same is going to come for airlines. I mean, Motel 6 and Red Lion just had giant renos or, or overhauls of their brand image a year ago, a year and a half ago, where they were trying to make themselves more... Relevant? Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, by redoing their rooms and making them more comfortable for people. And I think that, yeah, I mean, when you think about the motel on the side of the road. When I think about like the movie version of that, it's Motel Six, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's true. I and stayed it at a, also doesn't mean that I wouldn't stay at one. I stayed at a Super Eight last week, a couple weeks ago. It was Band like life. I was in No Country for Old Men. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty dark. <laughs> but now you've done that. Yeah. But well, I think. Well, look, I'm on that brink that you're talking about. I'm about to transition from couples travel to now family travel. We're expecting a kid in May. And I think because congratulations, thank you. You're gonna use the podcast to tell us all. (laughs) (laughs) You could have dropped that before we were on the air. Mark called me out like a week ago. It's it's seven months. I mean, come on. (laughs) But I think the habits I have developed in this millennial group are going to translate as well when when we have a family. Because I know my husband and I are definitely more likely to rent an Airbnb with a family. I think that is a hard market for Airbnb to tap into right Mm -hmm. now because a lot of families aren't really confident about those offerings. And I know my parents' generation, they they might not consider that. And I think that's why they just invested so heavily and purchased luxury rentals, because now they have all these family homes that are stunning and safe in the Caribbean and in Mexico and Hawaii. So they are also growing as millennials grow older. Yeah. Oh, their whole ad campaign right yeah. now is targeted to families, mm-hmm. right. to so family rentals. There's a ex- straight up example of what's how it's transitioning. And then I have I've gone from early 20s when the social media wasn't really a thing yet uh, to working with places like STA travel, student groups, the equivalent Mm -hmm. of student travel agencies to plan my trip. And now I am probably more likely to use social media and other media sources that I trust, like Condé Nast Traveler, to plan my trip, right? So it's changing. And I think the industry, like you just said, 
will adapt, especially if they're trying to cater to millennials, they're going to keep catering to them as they age out of this youth group, we'll call it. And we'll still be called millennials probably, but we're not going to be, you know, 18 to 35 anymore. Right. What comes next? I mean, we're still Gen X, right? Like we're, and we're not aimless and unemployed most of the time. Right. Most of the time. Exactly. What comes next too, you know? What's well, the next generation to come about? That's a whole other, you know, question. Yeah. But I do think flying cars. We've already been doing this for an hour. We may want to. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you guys have also changed the market. I think because you can change these demands and the way the industry responds to them can change other people's behavior. I know that my behavior has changed. All of these things are things I take advantage of now too. And and now I would say our approach to travel is very similar to what you just described. It's like, we might go to an Airbnb for, we're gonna take a long trip to Greece in uh, August and we're gonna do some Airbnb. We're gonna splurge on a hotel experience for part of that time. We certainly, Uber and Lyft are huge. So I think it reverberates outside the generation. When the industry changes around it, people's behavior respond to the new opportunities that the industry presents. And it has that profound kind of impact over the broader traveling public. So it'll be interesting to see next what that what that younger generation does and what's different about them meanwhile thanks to all of you guys for talking that was really interesting and um great to hear from you don't forget to subscribe to the podcast ladies and gentlemen we are on itunes we are on soundcloud visit us at cntraveler.com we're also at condé nast traveler on facebook and youtube and cn traveler on instagram twitter and snapchat Please do tweet at us, send us feedback, let us know. Uh, if you are a millennial traveler or a non-millennial traveler, let us know how these things have surfaced in your life and your travels. Yeah, call out our bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Tell us, you know. Find me at BizTrav. Yeah. <laughs> where can, where, Meredith, where, where are you at? I am on Twitter at oh, hey there, Mare. And Seb? I'm at Seb Modek on Instagram and Twitter. Laura? I'm at Danon825 on Twitter and Laura underscore Redman on Instagram. And I'm at Bradrick. That's it. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for tuning in.